good morning. That's the quickest the choir has moved in a while. It's time to get started, isn't it? Yeah, so. we're, we're old. <laughs> no, you're not. It is good to see all of you. I am um, sorry, but the, thermo, the, the old heater is doing all it can do. And um, it is on, I promise you, but, but it is, just can't keep up with this kind of cold. So um, snuggle up. You know, we greet each other with a holy kiss. Maybe we greet with a, with a snuggle. Come on, y'all snuggle up on River there. He would love that today. But we're glad you're here. A couple things to notice in your bulletin. You can pay attention to the announcement page. But on the back page, there'll be a new feature there. Um, it'll be easy for you to find the Wednesday night meals that are starting February 7th. I understand that the sign-up sheet we put in Sunday school classes last week was as clear as mud. So let me try to clear it up. We've got two different families who are willing to cook for us. Um, the branches are cooking twice a month. And then um, Julie Davis and some other volunteers are going to cook another Wednesday night of the month. So that's three of the four. We're going to do potluck for a little while, bring soups and other things for that fourth one. But we're trying to get it where we can all come in from 5.15 to 6.15 and have a Wednesday night meal. It'll be $5 a person, no more than $20 a family. You can't feed anyone now for that price. And so it'll be good food. You'll see it's there. But we do need some help. And we're asking Sunday school classes that can to volunteer. Each class would be asked to bring about four or five people to help put up the tables and chairs and vacuum the, the NPR right after the dinner's over. And then a couple people inside the kitchen to help clean the, the dishes and make sure the kitchen, the kitchen's cleaned up to specs for the daycare the next morning. So if we all do it, each Sunday school class helps volunteer, I think maybe once every eight to ten weeks. And we would be able to only do it during that time. So please, Sunday school classes, look at those lists and try to sign up. We already have the first and last Sunday of this month, our February, covered. So we just need some volunteers. And if we can get the volunteers, we'll be able to start this ministry. So looking forward to it. Are you ready to worship? Yeah. It is always good to have Bill and Susie McClanahan back. Um, welcome back. If you're going to bring that weather with you, just take it back home, please. And, um, but we're glad you're here. Are you ready to worship? Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this time we have together. I thank you, Father, that um, though it's been cold, we've not lost our power. And we ask, Father, that you would protect us there, that you would watch over those in our church who are at home even now. Be with them as they worship with us online. Help us to worship you, Lord. We praise you and we honor you. And we want to lift you up today in Jesus' name. Amen. this morning from Matthew 5, 17 through 20. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, unless heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will call the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless the righteousness, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Stand and join our voices in worship as we sing, Immortal, Invisible, God Only Wise.
that we sing, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery.
Amen. 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 Let me invite you to turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. We wrap up this chapter today and begin chapter 2 next week, but uh, Colossians chapter 1. Before we read the scripture, let's pray together. Father, we come before you and thank you. I just thank you for the songs we have sung, old and new, mixed together, lifting up your name. I thank you for the choir special today. And when we think about, are you worthy? We have to say, you are worthy. You're worthy of all blessing and honor and praise. And we give you glory and honor today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the promise of new creation. Thank you for the promise that this world is not all that there is, that, that there is a new heaven and earth coming. There is a kingdom that will manifest and we will be with our king forever. We praise you. We lift up those who are hurting today. We continue to lift up Leon to you. We pray for Frank Morrison today and ask as they battle cancer that you would bless them. Lord, we lift up those who are just battling the the sickness that comes with this kind of weather, and we ask, Father, that you would watch over them and heal them. I pray for Miss Shirley Weems, and Lord, as she buried her husband of 50 years yesterday, I ask, Father, that you would strengthen her and bless her. Bless the daughters and the son and the grandchildren, the nephews. Bless them, Father. Watch over them. We thank you, Lord, for the hope of glory, Christ in us. And as we read this passage, as we preach it and study it, we ask that you would speak to us very clearly. Holy Spirit, we, we confess you inspired these words. These are letters from you. They were given to Paul. And Paul wrote them as you directed. And so we believe we have letters from heaven before us. And so we ask that you would speak to us as you revealed them to Paul through inspiration and revelation we ask now that you would open our ears through illumination that we might understand and that we might apply bless us we pray in jesus name amen last week we looked at chapter 1 verse 24 and i want to read that verse again to keep it in context i'm not sure it'll be on the screen i think verses 25 through 29 is be be what you find on your screen but Turning your Bibles. I said it in the first, second service last week. It is good to have a real Bible, okay? Now, I know that we're in a world of iPhones and, and, and iBibles and all those, but here's the thing I love about this Bible. It doesn't click and tell me that somebody's notified me of a text or a Facebook message or anything like that. And so it just doesn't distract me. It, now, Satan finds other ways to distract me when I'm in it. And I'm not saying don't use your iPhone Bible if you need all you have, but it's just good to have a real Bible. I just, Frank Hobson and I are kind of similar. I just like a leather Bible in my hand. I like the feel of it. That's enough. Turn to Colossians 1. If you can, stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. If you don't have a Bible, we'd be happy to get you one. Um, or you could take one out of the pew if you need to and tell Ronnie you took it and he can replace it out of his um, music budget. Um, <laughs> let me hush and read the scripture. Verse 24, Paul said, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you 
to make the Word of God fully known. The mystery, hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to His saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Would you say those words with me out loud? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I told, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You can be seated. In the 1600s, a man who died at an early age, his name was Henry Skugel. He wrote a little book, and that little book was later given to Wesley, and Wesley gave that book to Whitfield. Whitfield later said that he never went anywhere without a copy of that book with him. And here's the reason. He said, after reading the book for the first time, he said, I must be born again or be damned. He testified, Whitfield, that he, he never knew what true religion was until he read that book. Now, the book's not an easy read. It's a 1600 old English book. It's, it's hard read, but it's worth every little bit. But, but I want to draw your attention to the name of the book. Because the name of the book may be the best definition of salvation that I've ever heard. The life of God in the soul of man. The life of God in the soul of man. Isn't that a good definition of salvation? It's the life of God in the soul of man. It's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. The life of God is now in us, or as we find in this text, Christ in you, the hope of glory. In verse 24 last week, we, we looked and saw the suffering of Paul and and his, his desire to bring the gospel to them and, and all that that means. But Paul continues where he left, leaves off. He suffered for the sake of Christ's body. He, he suffered for the church. I don't often have visual illustrations, but Douglas Moo said these verses are like the Russian dolls. You just have one clause revealing another clause. And that clause just keeps revealing another clause. And that clause just keeps revealing. There's a couple more in there. I'm not going to open them all up. But, but, but it's, it's just one after another. The deeper you get into it, the more you begin to see it. And he opens it up and begins to talk to us. And, and I'll be honest with you. I've studied a lot on this passage. And, and it's one of those I, I'm just not sure I can do justice to. I know that's not the way you're supposed to open a sermon, but I don't know that anybody can do justice to this passage. But we'll try. Let's look at the scriptures and try to understand just how God-centered our salvation is. It's not that we don't place faith in Him. We do. But to see just how God-centered our salvation is. When you read this passage, you begin to see that God's behind it all. He's, he's working in and out and through us and around us. He's, he's moving and his kingdom is advancing. And, and God has been moving since creation toward a stated end. And it's true. We don't always see it in the ramifications as it will be one day. But, but God's moving in us. And so we see several things. And here's the first thing. When we come to verse 25, we see God's man. God's man. Look at verse 25. He says, of which I became a minister. Paul's talking about himself. Of which I became a minister. The church. Of which I became a minister according 
to the stewardship from God that was given me to me for you to make the word fully known. Paul is an apostle. He says, I'm an apostle abnormally born. He's different from the other apostles. He, he admits he didn't see Jesus while he was on the earth. He didn't walk with Jesus on earth. But, but when Paul was saved in the, in the wilderness, Jesus came and taught him. Paul, Paul was an apostle. He was a preacher. He's a teacher. He's a missionary. He's an evangelist. He, the equivalent of a couple PhDs probably. Paul was brilliant. But here's the thing Paul says to us. I didn't call myself to this work. Nobody goes through what Paul went through if he called himself to it. He endured the suffering, but not because he called himself to it, but because God called him to it. He describes that calling in Galatians. He, he says, I'm a minister according to God's plan. Galatians 1, 15 and 16. He said, but when he, that's God who had, listen, he said, he had set me apart before I was born. That's true of all of us who are believers. And he called me by his grace. He was pleased to reveal a son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. God had a sense of humor with Paul, didn't he? The Jew of all Jews, the Hebrew of all Hebrews, and, and he calls him to the Gentiles. God had a plan for Paul before he was born. He has a plan for us. And Paul looks at it, and what's interesting, if we can go back to our text, James, and, and, and you look at our text, he, he, he says it's a stewardship from God. Isn't that an interesting way to put it? which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God. It's not the only time Paul's ever said that. In 1 Corinthians 9, he's, he's talking about his own preaching. He says in verse 16, but woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. That's how he knows he was called. Woe to me if I don't. It sounds like Jeremiah. It's a fire in my bones. Woe to me if I, if I don't preach the gospel. And then he says in verse 17, for if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if, but if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. Paul speaks of that stewardship in Corinthians, the stewardship that he speaks of in our text. He, he saw the gospel and he sees the church as belonging to God the Father with Jesus as the head. Jesus is the head of the body. And Jesus, the head of the body through his spirit, appoints us to different places and different giftings within this body. It's stewardship. We've been given a stewardship here on earth to use within the body of Christ for the glory of God. The, the, the gifts that he gives to us, he, he calls each of us to serve his body. We're simply stewards. Let me ask you today, how's your stewardship? How are you using the gifts that God's given you within the body of Christ? All of us are, are called to be active using our gifts. I understand that the gifts and the calling may change as we get older. It may change in the way we do things. But until we breathe no more, God has a plan for us. Amen? How are we doing with those gifts? Have you found that thing that God wants you to do? Have you, have you found the thing that you say, woe to me if I don't do this? Paul found it, and he saw himself as a steward. He was God's man, but really, that's just an outer layer because he takes us in then to, to God's revelation. The next layer, God's revelation. Look at what he says in the text. Let's look at it again in verse 25. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God. That's God's man. I was given to me for you. Look what he says. To make the word of God fully known. You and I, we've said it over and over again. I loved it when, 
when um, I listened to Josh's sermon when he was here when I was gone, and he said it to you again. We, we are disciples who are to make disciples. And the discipleship process is to make the Word of God fully known. That's true of me as I preach. It's true of you as you teach. It's true of us as we live, as we bring up our children, as we bring up our, and minister to our grandchildren. And, and wherever we find ourselves as a disciple, our, our job is to make the Word of God fully known. He, he continues that in verse 28. He says that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So he defines that to make the word of God fully known that, that we may be mature, that we may present. We do things on many different levels. Think for a moment of, of a child's development. Obviously, the, the child is um, conceived and begins to grow the mother becomes aware that, that there's a baby within her. She, she goes to a doctor, and, and the doctor begins to do the test, and there, there are doctors for that process, uh, OBGYNs. They, they, they help you in that process. They, they listen to the heartbeat. They do the things. They give you the vitamins. They do what they can to keep the baby healthy while it was in the womb. And then that doctor beats you when the time is to be born and, and the baby is delivered. And it's interesting that, that the nurses who, who do all that work, the doctor just comes in, he's a catcher for a moment, and, and then what does he do? He, his, that, that nurse that, that helped deliver that baby, pretty much the job's done for her. She hands that baby off to another group of nurses. And those nurses, you did, if you're like me, I was in the labor room, I didn't even know those nurses were in the room. Where'd they come from? And there they are, and they begin to clean the baby, measure the baby, do all the kind of stuff that makes the baby cry, and they do all that, and then they hand that baby off to the mom and dad. And then mom and dad get the baby back, they take the baby to another set of nurses and doctors who, who do all the things they need to do, taking care of that baby until mom and dad take the baby home. And then there are pediatricians, and they continue to take that baby up until the baby grows and develops even in our churches that way. We have those right now working in a nursery. They're rocking those babies so that you can be in this room. We have those who are in the nursery singing songs over those children. And as the children get older, they begin to teach them Bible stories and preschool. And they bring them up into the elementary age. Many of you in this room teach children in those age groups. They move from the elementary age into the student ministry, and, and they move from there into the college and the young adults and, and all the way to senior adults, and, and each one is, is teaching the Word of God, trying to make it fully known on the level of that child, bringing them up to make them mature in Christ. Church, one of the things that I hear from our children's ministry is is they need volunteers. In your worship guide today, there are some places where Chris has listed that they need help with. I want to challenge you to get involved in those things. I want to challenge you to do what you can because we know that the world is coming against our children and we have better be able to help them know the truth. Not only inside our Sunday school and missions, but also helping parents know how to teach and bring up their children so they can make disciples. Are you in that process? Maybe you are the evangelist. Maybe you're the one that takes the newborn and, and teaches them how to grow in Christ. Maybe you're more comfortable in, in levels of discipleship that takes them into theology. But, but the church needs to have a process that, that we're trying to work on to, to take you from, from newborn all the way to a mature in Christ. And if we're not doing that, we're not being the church. Paul sees God's revelation. The word drives him. He wants to make it fully known. Look at verse 26. He says, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to a saint. Now, we use that word mystery in kind of a mystical, oh, it's a mystery. 
But don't get, don't get overwhelmed by this word mystery. I think what, what the New Testament means when it says mystery, especially regarded as something in the Old Testament now known, is, is it was a mystery. It was not known then, but it's now known. There are things that, that take place in the Old Testament that, that we see the fulfillment of it through the cross and through the church and through the growth. And, and it was a mystery. And it, it's something that wasn't known but is now known. It's, it's that God would open the door in the new covenant for the Gentiles to become a part of the people of God. Paul deals with this extensively. If you want to read more, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, he deals with, with that mystery. He lays it out. But in verse 6, Ephesians 3, 6, he said, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. God had a plan, a plan that was revealed we see it in early Genesis, revealed even after the fall, a plan that began to come through to a man named Abram who became Abraham. Abraham had a son, Isaac. Isaac had a son, Jacob. He had more than that, but Jacob was the chosen one, and, and Jacob had 12 sons, and, and through those 12 sons, the 12 nations of Israel began to develop, and the tribes of Israel come together, the 12 tribes of Israel, not 12 nations. 12 tribes of Israel come to form the nation, the, the people of God, until those people are given covenants and promises and worship. But all of it's pointing to to the cross. It's pointing to the coming of the Messiah. You and I are now members of the people of God. Not because of our Jewish heritage, but because of the work of Jesus on the cross. He, he revealed that to the apostles, and he, and he wrote it down for us in the New Testament. God's man had a revelation of the mystery that has now been made known, that, that everyone who comes through Christ can be a part of the people of God. And what does that lead to? Look at verse 27, God's glory. God's glory, we, we find God's man, God's revelation, God's glory to them God chose to make known. How great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, to them, who's the them? Well, it's the saints that he just talked about. It's the people of God. To the saints, God has chose to make known how great among the Gentiles. Do you see how he's trying to, to express this? He's trying to express the magnitude of this, of this mysterious glory. How great are the riches of the glory of this mystery that God would include Gentiles and Jews with his covenant, that he would let us come and be a people, that, that, he, that he would come inside of us? How great is the mystery? The riches of that, that Christ is in us, not just empowering us, not just leading us, but the one who came incarnate now indwells us. What a mystery. What glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You can write down three words there. Union with Christ. I've asked you to write that down a couple of times recently. Union. Union with Christ. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christ in us and us in Christ. That's what it is. He's, he's in us. We're in him. We could spend months here. We, we're given a new identity. It's, it's no longer, Paul says later, it's no longer Jew or Gentile or free or slave. It's, it's Christ. We're in Christ. It's who we are. 
It comes before being American. It comes before being Southern. It comes before whatever identity you want to use. It's Christ in us. We are in Christ. Paul uses some form, some version of those words 33 times in his letters, in Christ, in Christ, over and over again in the first chapter of Ephesians. Here we see it, in Christ. What is the glory of that? What, what does it mean to be in Christ, for, for Christ to be in you? It's a little, not a little, it's a, it's a book um, by, written by a man named Paul David Tripp that I'm reading with a couple groups of guys. He answers the question of what it means for Christ to be in you. I want you to listen to what he says. He said, all the graces of the gospel flow to us because we are in Christ. We are justified because we're in Christ. We are being sanctified because we are in Christ. We are loved as adopted children because we are in Christ. We are forgiven because we're in Christ. We have every need supplied because we're in Christ. We are the objects of the Father's love because we are in Christ. We have eternal hope because we are in Christ. Union with Christ is the fountainhead from which flows the Christian's every spiritual blessing. Repentance and faith, pardon, justification, adoption, sanctification, perseverance, and glorification. All of that because we're in Christ. All of that because Christ is in us. That's the hope of glory. All of that glory goes to God who made it so. Amen. The message of Paul is the next point you see here, God's message. We need to see that. It's God's message. It's not a message that I, I told you a while back. I was, I was accosted in, in, um, in a barbecue place. They, they, a lady came up to me, an, an attorney in town, and, and she said, um, are you the pastor of First Baptist Church of Fell City? I said, yes, ma'am. What do you believe about homosexuality, marriage? So I told her. Well, she began to come after me, and, and I'm sitting there having lunch with, with Robert Miner, and I said, ma'am, I'd love to talk to you about this, but not here. I gave her my email address. And she would call and email me and, and ask for a question, and I'd give her an answer, and then she would just rage at me. And finally I said, if I want this, I, I can get it from one of my own church members. I don't have to put up with this from another church member. And so, no, I'm just kidding. I, I didn't say that, but I, I thought it. But I said, listen, ma'am, I, I have no desire to have this argument with you because you don't care about truth. All you want to do is get me to believe what you believe. And I'm just trying to tell you what the Bible says. It's God's message that we proclaim. She said this. That's where I was coming to. She said, oh, that's Paul. I'm talking about Jesus. I said, when you read the words of Paul, you're reading the words of Jesus. The worst thing we ever did in our Bibles is put red letters for the words of Jesus. Every word in the Bible is a red letter. It's God's word. And Paul says, I'm giving you God's message. Look at what he says. Him we proclaim. That's, we proclaim Jesus. He's the focus of our hope. He's the focus of our life. He's the focus of our teaching. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone. Now, there may be two types of proclamation here. It may be that Paul is saying, I warn everyone, and that warning could be for those who are lost, okay? So there's a lot written about this, that maybe Paul is saying, I, I try to take those who are lost, and I try to awaken them to the need for Christ, and so I warn them. And then he says, and I teach Maybe he's, he's teaching the saved, but I don't think it's what he's saying. I think he's just saying, I warn and I teach, I preach and I exhort, I do whatever I can to let people know who Jesus is. Every time we open the Bible, 
whether it's me behind this pulpit or your Sunday school teacher behind a podium or at a desk or we're sitting with children or we're sitting one-on-one over a cup of coffee with the Word of God. Exhort and teach and encourage everyone with all wisdom. So what he says, with all wisdom. I said, stop there. We've not come too far in, in, in this book to, to forget what he said back in verse 9. Look at what he said. Go back. He, he's praying for them in verse 9. He says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul says, I'm praying that you would have wisdom as you listen to it. But now he's saying, I need wisdom as I teach it. Warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom. Pray for your teachers. Please pray for your preacher that that I would have wisdom in how to teach the word. Pray that they would have wisdom to teach you as they study throughout the week. One of the things I, I love about um, our Thursday morning group that we pray with, one particular man sits right where Rachel's sitting every week, and, and every time he prays, he prays for a Sunday school teacher. You know what I love, too, is, is another one who's, who's, who's here who, who teaches our boys, and girls and boys in elementary school. He prays every time he prays that, that those children would come to know Jesus. We're praying for wisdom for the teacher and praying for wisdom for the listener. And Paul said, we need that wisdom, that wisdom in Christ. We need it. Why is the purpose? Look what he says, that we may present everyone. I think the idea is that we may present them at the judgment. That when the judgment comes, that we may present them mature in Christ. That's the goal. That's why for 20, almost 23 years, I've, I've stood in this pulpit and opened the Bible and tried to teach you verse by verse. It's, it's easier sometimes to do other things. I know that, but, but, but I, I want to present you one day. Mature in Christ. It's the goal. It's what we work for. It's what we try to achieve. But, but there's one more thing in this passage. There's one more thing I want you to see. Now, This is where the Word of God is living and active. It just shows you, no matter how many times you read it, you still learn. Anybody who ever says, well, I read the Bible through, I I got all I need. Just mark them up as foolish. The Word of God is living and active. I don't know how many times I read through Colossians and prayed through Colossians in the months preceding this series to try to prepare myself to teach it. And then one day, I'm just reading it, and just a couple of weeks ago, it jumps out at me, the last verse of our text. I'll show you what I'm going to show you in just a minute. But look at it. It says, for this I toil, presenting everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all of his energy that he powerfully works within me. For this I toil, struggling. Ed is much more of a Greek scholar than I am. But he, he is the scholar in Greek. I'm not. But that word struggling is the word from which we get our English word agonizing. He'll use it again in chapter 2. Paul says, I'm, I'm toiling. I'm, I'm agonizing. I'm doing everything I can to present you mature Christ. We know how he toiled. We know how he struggled. We, we know how he suffered. Could you imagine the back of Paul from the beatings and the stonings that he took? But look at what he says. For this I toil, struggling. Now, here's what jumped out at me. Struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Now, just look at that for a second. For this I toil, struggling, agonizing with all his energy. That's not the way we normally put things, is it? We normally say, for this I toil, struggling with all my energy. But our energy is limited, it's finite. 
This I told, struggling with all his energy. I just, here's the last one thing I want you to say. It's God's energy. God's energy. God has made his power our power. I don't mean by that that we're ever omnipotent. But God has made his power our power. Hear me, church. We like nothing when it comes to accomplishing the things he calls us to do. When we're in Christ and when Christ is in us, his energy, his power, it's now at work in us. But with the work that God is doing in us, we take that and we toil and we struggle. You know what this is? This is Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You work it out. Toil with it. Agonize with it. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work to his good pleasure. So what does that mean? Take this whole text and let's make it personal. God calls us all to a task. He doesn't call us all to be preachers any more than he calls the whole body to be one mouth. He doesn't call us all to be preachers. He doesn't call us all to be teachers. But we're all on this earth for his glory. Every one of us are here for his glory. You're not a doctor. You're not a nurse. You're not a lawyer. You're not a teacher. You're not whatever it is you do. You're not that for a paycheck. You're that for the glory of God. God has called us to something. We're on this earth for his glory. He, he reveals his will to us in his word. We dig into his word. We, we have no greater purpose than to know him and to make him known. It's why we're here on earth, to know him and to make him known. His glory is in you. Christ is in you, the hope of glory. And you're in Christ, and, and being a disciple who, who makes disciples is, is while we exist, we, we go in his power. But get this, that power will cost you everything you have. You'll have to struggle sometimes. You'll stay up late at night worried about God, is this really what you want me to say or really what you want me to do? You, you'll have to struggle. You'll have to agonize to be holy. You'll agonize to be holy as you try to help others become holy. And his power's there. His energy's there. But let me tell you, you will not experience his power till you step out in faith. Church, if you... If you were waiting for the whole planet system to align and a bright spotlight to come down and say, now you are empowered, go and do, it's not going to happen. I'm not saying he can't. I'm just saying normally he doesn't. He leads you, he guides you, he directs you through his word. And then you step out in faith. Peter had to get out of the boat to walk on water, right? Sometimes you and I just got to get out of the boat to experience the power of God. Is God calling you to ministry? Is God calling you to missions? Is he calling you to teach? Is he calling you to work? Is he calling you just to volunteer with our children? I know you got a great Sunday school class. I know you enjoy worship, but maybe God's calling you to help with bringing up children in the name of the Lord. Maybe, maybe God's calling you to help down at the food pantry. Maybe God's calling you to volunteer somewhere else, to do something solely for the purpose of God's glory. Are you waiting 
for it all to align before you step out? That isn't how it works. Find God's will, step out, and work with all you have. And suddenly you'll find him working in you to accomplish his purposes. Church, it is a glorious way to live. It is a glorious way to live when you're doing what you know God's called you to do. And you do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. You may wonder, do you always look forward to preaching? Are you always excited about it? No. I'll be quite honest with you, there are times I'd rather do almost anything. I'm still a naturally shy boy. Stepping up in this pulpit sometimes takes everything I have. And I know that some of you think we only work one day a week. I understand that. (laughs) But I can tell you too, there are times I step out of this on Sunday afternoon going home and I feel like I've run a marathon. And I've run marathons. I know what they feel like. And it's not because my job is any more special than your job. It's just sometimes it takes toil to do what God's called you to do. And then there are moments of great joy I couldn't wait to get to today's text. It was a joyful thing to get to this text. It's not about how we feel. It really comes down to what has God called you to do? What's the burning in your bones? Do what he's called you to do. Ask him and step out in faith. Amen? It is my joy to be your pastor. I don't want to do anything else. People ask me, and I say, say, I've been married to Kim for 30 years now. I can't bless her heart. Thanks a lot. Go back to Washington, Susie. Um, I can't imagine. I can't imagine having to go through that whole process again. Can you? Dating and doing all that and getting to know somebody again. I just like being at home with my wife. I love being your pastor. So you say, you going to go somewhere else? Not if the Lord will let me. You've stuck with me for at least 12 more years, 10 more years. I love you. But the only way we're going to be the church is that all of us do what we're called to do. That all of us step out of the boat and learn in the spirit to walk on the water of faith and do what he's called us to do. Amen? I hope you don't mind. I'm going to do something a little different. I'm just going to ask Donna, and the rest of you can just rest for a second. Donna, why don't you play? She's already there. We're not going to sing. I just want you to bow your heads for a moment. I wonder if you would just once again ask the Spirit, Lord Jesus, what would you have me do? Lord, what is it you want me to do now? It might have been very clear to you for years, and and now you feel like maybe there's something different happening. It's okay. Maybe God's calling you into a new chapter. I just believe with all my heart that God has called every one of you for something. Before you were born, he had a plan for you. Before the world was created, he had a plan for you. And everything that has happened has prepared you to do what he's calling you to do. It's not gone the way you want it to go. 
It's not been everything you thought it would be. But you're ready today to do what God's calling you to do today. Whatever that may be. It may be like Josh, he's, he's called the ministry, and so he's preparing. It may be that you're called to do something and you need to prepare for it. Just step out and begin to prepare. Volunteer to help in the class and, and eventually take a class. Or just be the one, like Miss Phyllis, that brings the cakes to the class so that everybody can fellowship. Or like our other ladies who, who cook and take care of our homebound and bring food to them. That's a ministry. It's hands and feet of Jesus. What's God calling you to do? Father, I thank you for each person who's here. And I pray that you would help us to see the calling to present everyone mature in Christ. And it doesn't stop when they come through the baptismal waters, but that's just the beginning. That we would disciple. That we would be disciples. That we would make disciples. We all are to be a part of that process, no matter what our part may be. So help us, Lord, to understand it and to walk in it. Would you just ask one more time before we close? Lord Jesus, what would you have me do? Speak to us, Father. Through your spirit, through your word, through the body of Christ, make it clear to us what we should do and help us to be faithful, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Thank you for being here. I just remind you about the Wednesday night meals, and, and we would love for you to sign up. That's for everyone from our children all the way through to our choir and, and those in DU and all the things that are going on Wednesday night. It would be a great time for us to fellowship together, to eat together, and then go to wherever we're doing on Wednesday nights. We're glad you're here. Our ushers are at the door. This is the first time in a long, long time that we've been this early in the year meeting budget. Don't mess that up, okay? <laughs> Let's keep doing it, okay? Please give faithfully to the things of God. We're glad you're I'll be at this door, Tim. 60-year-old Tim Gold. Happy birthday, Tim. And uh, it's his birthday this past week, so happy birthday to him. He's pretty spry for 60 years old, isn't he? But he'll be at that. And Ronnie, if you don't mind, where are they? In the back. Sandra's been trying to remind me for weeks to tell you there's some Colossians prayer cards if you'd like to have some of those to help you pray in the book of Colossians. Thank you for being here. God bless you.